is an odd morning uh, for, for a lot of us to begin with uh, because of the uh, absence of some of our wives and mothers and the, uh, the wrench in the routine that that, that throws. Uh, But Ellie's here. That's right. That's good. That's good news. Um, I want to begin uh, this morning uh, with a word of prayer, but before I do, uh, I'm going to read Psalm 24, uh, a fitting um, psalm of praise uh, to the Lord, um, fitting for the content of what we're going to talk about today. So let me read this Psalm 24, verses 1. Through 10. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we gather this morning resting on these firm promises of your word. You are the King of glory. You are the Lord of the host of heaven, and you do give righteousness and strength to your people in order that we might stand, in order that we might resist, in order that we might fight for your honor, for your glory. As we gather this morning to discuss again Uh, This subject, this important subject of spiritual warfare, we ask once again that your spirit would be in this place, that you would guide our thoughts, that you would guide our speech, that you would be honored, that we would be built up. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen. There's a lot in that passage that we're going to return to. Um, in just a few minutes. I did put a a handout, which is slowly building your packet, and um, uh, I don't have folders for you yet, but uh, maybe we'll get those at the end. After you've had this, you know, big stack of handouts, you'll be great. Um, Just a little review. I always like to review uh, prior to jumping back into where we are. Uh, We have talked about... uh, Simply the title of this book, The Invisible War, that there is an invisible war going on that we, whether we like it or not, are involved 
in that invisible war. We've talked a little bit about the invisible realm and what exists there, what the Bible reveals to us exists there. We talked about the schemes. Uh, I was talking to my dad about this, and he was reminding me of the old King James translation of that, which is the wiles, the wiles of the devil. And uh, he preached a sermon once, uh, maybe on Ephesians 6, where one of his points was, Satan is a wily devil. And uh, we don't use that word a lot, wiles, but uh, same word, schemes, that uh, Satan, our enemy, is intentional, he is planning, he is plotting, and uh, he's been doing it for a long time. And uh, so we talked about some of the ways that he uh, comes at us. Uh, direct attack through suffering, through persecution, through just outright fear, uh, through temptation, through de- deception, and through accusation. And then we camped out a little bit on uh, the fact that we uh, are fighting, we are waging this war out of victory, that this is a war that is, or a victory that is already accomplished that all we are doing is enforcing, in a sense, enforcing the victory that Christ has already won for us. And so our union with Christ, our indwelling with His Spirit gives us the power, gives us the strength that we need as we stand. Remember, we're going to be here today in Ephesians 6 as we stand in the Lord. And all of this Uh, All of that that I just went over uh, equals awareness. It gives us an awareness. I wanted to read a a paragraph out of this book that some of you have been working through as we've talked about these things. Um, This is on page 85. He says, he's talking about uh, the evil day, and he says, this term, the evil day, is an interesting phrase It means on a particular day at a particular time. Why? Because the battles aren't the same. This conflict isn't about a constant invisible source that keeps keeps coming at you consistently every day. There are specific opportunities when the enemy will try to deceive you, discourage you, or turn you away from your commander-in-chief, the Lord Jesus. We've discussed earlier how the lion prowls around for vulnerable prey. There are times when you are on top of your game, so the enemy waits. He watches your seasons and cycles, looking for the times when you are weak, when you are tired, when you've had a conflict with your spouse, when the economy drops and you suddenly see how much security you had placed in your retirement plan, when you're in the ICU with one of your children and you wonder if he or she is going to make it. At any given moment of weakness, you can be tempted to think, that God is not good. One of the reasons why I like that little paragraph is just because it speaks to the fact, um, which, is, which is what we're going to talk about today or begin to talk about today, is that those moments that, like the ones I read or like the one I read last week, those moments on the mission field uh, we hear of direct satanic attack, um, those are not, as I said last week, those are not the common, that's not the common fight. Uh, the common fight is in the mundane. It's in the everyday. It's in the relationships. 
it's in the work, it's in the frustration, it's in the flesh. And, um, and so today we're going to talk about uh, the fight. And I want you to notice the progression. We're going to spend some time in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, the classic passage in regards to spiritual warfare and our fight of spiritual warfare. And I want you to notice or at least remember the progression of the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians begins with this great declaration of the gospel, this great declaration of in him we are seated in the heavenly places, right? We're resting in Christ in chapter one. And then in chapter four, we're called to walk in a manner worthy of the calling we've received. So we've moved from resting in Christ, essentially seated, sitting, although it doesn't say that, but we know that Christ is seated at the right hand. So we've gone from resting and sitting to walking, and now in chapter six of Ephesians, what are we doing? We're standing. Ephesians chapter six, verse 14. Stand therefore. And everything kind of feeds into this, not just that which has come before, but that which comes after. Stand, having done these other things. The other things are participles. And we're going to begin the today with just talking about two of them. Three things before we jump into this passage. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, a familiar passage to most of you, I assume. Ephesians chapter 6. Maybe it would be good to read, to read those, uh, those verses and just get them in our heads fresh. Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And we'll stop right there. Three things I want to say about this passage, about this, these verses that I just read, about this fight of spiritual warfare. The first is that at least initially this seems to be a defensive posture, right? Stand. Hold your ground. Right? This has to do, I think, with the phrase that we camped out on last week, that we fight against the devil, that we wage war spiritually, fighting from victory, not for victory, right? There's this territory, well, not territory is a bad word because it leads your mind in other places. There's this, uh, there's, there's this victory. There's this conquest that is already accomplished. You are part of the conquest. 
Christ has bought you with a price. You are his, his prized possession. You are a displayer of his glory. And so the enemy comes at you seeking to mar the glory of Christ, to mar the name of Christ. And so you stand firm in who you are and in the victory that Christ has already won. That's the first thing about this fight is, notice first of all, it's defensive, at least, at least initially. Number two, it's not a formula, it's not a checklist, it's not a list of phrases to say in certain situations. It's not what we're talking about when we talk about the fight of faith or spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare, as I think Chip Ingram wrote well in those chapters that you read for this week, some of you, that spiritual warfare is a lifetime of growth. It's a lifetime of growth of walking with Christ, of growing in godliness. And then the last thing about this fight is something I've already said, and that is the fight is in the mundane. And I, ho- and I hope I've uh, communicated that accurately up until this point, is that though there are these flashpoints of, of demonic activity, of demonic power, and we see that, and we'll talk more about that in the weeks to come, spiritual warfare is it's just life. It's just life. And as I was talking about with someone, the schemes of the devil, the planning of the devil, I think intentionally in our Western enlightened rationalistic world, there's not a lot of bells and whistles and shock and awe in terms of spiritual battle. There's some. But a lot of it is simply in the everyday of life. And so today I want to talk, I want to begin to talk about the armor. And I don't want to lecture the whole time, and so I'm going to try to just work my way through a couple, uh, through these two things, and then I want to open it up. You see, I put the questions uh, that I want to kind of stir the pot with um, and get you to respond, get you to discuss, because I think there's real value in sharing what your uh, experiences have been, what your impressions have been. Some of you have been uh, walking with the Lord. Some of you have been engaged in this fight uh, longer than I have. And so I want to hear from you. And and so you can look at those questions and maybe begin to stir your mind as to how you might answer them. So we're going to talk about the armor of God, and this is really the next few weeks. There are six pieces of armor that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6. Why does he talk about armor? Well, first of all, this is not some kind of a jersey. This is not uh, padding. Uh, Let the fact that this is armor sink in. Like, this is real life stuff. Like, this is life and death stuff. Right? Uh, Paul's not just saying, put this stuff on so you know what team you're on. He's saying, put this stuff on so that the mortal blows that come your way, you will survive. I mean, that's a simple, I mean, that's a simple fact. I think we hear armor of God. We, at least in my mind, I picture the Sunday school Roman soldier with the, you know, the pieces and the arrows pointing and all the things representative. But no, this is vital protection 
for fights that we're inevitably going to be in. And, And why does Paul use this kind of imagery? Well, I think he uses the imagery for two reasons. One is because it would have been uh, a part of his experience. It would have been part of his reader's experience. Paul's sitting in a Roman prison. He's got these armored men all around him. And he says, there's a visual aid that I can use to help us to understand how to live out our relationship with the Lord. But that's not the only reason that Paul picks the picture of armor. His readers would have also been familiar with the images of the divine warrior that come out of the Old Testament. So yes, it relates to modern day, everyday Roman life, what they see, but it also relates in the Jewish experience to what they knew about the divine warrior. Speaking of the shoot that would come from Jesse's stump, We read this in Isaiah, he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Then again, later in Isaiah, he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. So don't forget, when you're thinking about the picture of Roman armor, yes, Paul is being relevant, but Paul is also saying this This is about Jesus, ultimately. The armor of God is about Jesus. Be strong in the Lord. He's already told the Ephesian church in chapter 1 in that long, wonderful, run-on sentence that in Him we are these things. And so as we go through the spiritual armor of God, we must remember that Jesus, the objective realities of the gospel is where we begin with these things. And you'll see that as we walk through them, certainly. So real quickly, two pieces of armor today to think about and to talk through. First, verse 14. Stand, therefore, having fastened the belt of truth. Having fastened the belt of truth. For the Roman soldier, for the ancient warrior, the belt was really the most important central, and in terms of central to the uniform, part of their equipment, right? These long flowing robes that were common in that culture in order to fight, in order to move about with the kind of movement and agility that you need in a fight, you've got to be able to tuck that stuff in, right? Tuck it into your belt. 1 Peter 1.13, therefore, Oh, well, actually, before I go there, I want to say that uh, I want to give you a quote from Chip Ingram. He says, we are to train our minds to see God, ourselves, and others through the lens of what he says is true. And that's just a building off of the, the simple reality that spiritual warfare begins in the mind. And so as we begin to think about the belt, I want us to begin to think about the mind. 
And then we go to 1 Peter 1, 13. Therefore, preparing the minds for action, literally girding up the loins of your mind, tucking it all in, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so when we talk about the belt of truth, well, we know we need truth because the enemy, Satan, one of his chief names, his chief characteristics is liar. So we need truth if we're dealing with a liar. There's a lot of uh, discussion about what kind of truth Paul is talking about here when he writes about the belt of truth. I think, same with the righteousness, that we don't have to pick an either or, that I think we can think about this objectively, we can think about it subjectively. We can think about it objectively as in grounded in the gospel, Right? God has given you the final word. He's given you Jesus. He's given you the word of God. That is truth. That as 1 Peter says, we prepare our minds for action with that hope, with that truth. We meditate on it. We memorize it. But there's also this subjective that we are people of truth. And, and they can't really be separated, the objective and the subjective. They They feed one another. One flows from the other. We are called to inner truthfulness. We are called to walk in his ways. And that is part of our defense, part of our standing firm against the lies of the devil. So there's the objective reality of the truth of God's word. And there's the subjective reality of being people of truth, of inner truthfulness. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate was, of course, this chain mail or um, bronze or, or leather piece that covered the chest, that covered the vital organs of a soldier. And again, we can think about this objectively, we can think about it subjectively. Objectively, we put on a righteousness that is not our own. Again, beginning in the mind, we put on a righteousness that is not our own. Isaiah 11.5, the prophet writes, speaking of Jesus, the one who would come, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, faithfulness the belt of his loins. Isaiah 59, the suffering servant, he put on righteousness as a breastplate. And so the gospel, living the gospel every day becomes vital protection against the arrows of the enemy, against the lies of the enemy. Romans 8.1, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then there's a subjective aspect of the righteousness. Righteousness is something we live out, just like truth is something we we live out. Paul told the church in Ephesus in uh, chapter 4, verse 24, putting on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness 
and holiness. And then Romans 6.1, he says to the church in Rome, present your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So I know that many of you have um, thought about that. You've maybe heard multiple sermons. Uh, maybe you've sat through a discipleship hour, a Sunday school that has taught and talked about uh, the armor of God. And so I know that for many of us, maybe not for all of us, I don't want to assume, that those, those pictures, those things are common to us. But what I want to hear from you is, so what? How, how do, in the mundane of life, how does truth and righteousness help us stand? How do our belts of truth become loose? Where has yours slipped? These are just some questions that I want to kind of tease uh, to get you guys to talk, to get us to think, to get us to discuss, and encourage one another in this battle for the mind, in standing firm in the Lord and against his accusations. And I've got stuff I could share, but I'd rather hear from you. So I've got a mic, and we're going to, uh, if you've got um, a comment or uh, an answer to one of these questions, I'm going to give you the mic so you can be heard on the recording. And if not, we're just going to have 15 minutes of awkward silence. <laughs> no, I'll fill it in. I'll fill, it, I'll fill it in if no one talks. So um, I think the truth is a very powerful thing. And, you know, it, it really... How much we rely on the truth is indicative of how much our trust is in God. You know, we get in trouble, we get caught in something, some sin or something, and do we go to the truth? Are we prepared to rely on the truth, the trust that God has our back, that we're okay? Or do we do the human thing? Do we manipulate? Do we make excuses? Do we blame others? Do we, you know dodge the bullet, you know, what do we do? Do we rely on truth or do we not? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I found in, in John, Jesus talked to Pilate about truth. And he said, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? Um, I think the, the world out there has a hard time with truth. They don't understand truth. They understand situations. They understand working through things, but they don't understand truth. Truth is really a, a bulwark. Um, Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What does that mean when Jesus said, I am the truth? I think it's a very powerful statement by Jesus. Mm -hmm. Good. Well, I know, I think it was last week I, I said that I envy those who came to Christ early because uh, they don't have to deal with the memories that, that I have to deal with. I was 25 when, uh, when I came to the Lord. But I, I guess one of the advantages that I have is that I have a strong contrast 
between the way I used to be and the way I am now. The truth, it's not only given me a standard to strive toward, but it's actually changed my inner, my inner man. Um, I have different values than I had then. I mean, I honestly do. It's not that, you know, I don't, I don't follow the Lord out of obligation. I follow the Lord because it's the truth. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the world does have problems with the truth, like Theo says. They don't want truth to be absolute uh, because it, there's no wiggle room, you know, ultimately. Um, so they reject the notion of absolute truth, but you can't get away from it. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you just cannot. And, and it takes the opening of the, it takes the opening by the Holy Spirit of your eyes in order to understand that. And so while I regret that I have to deal with all of those memories, I really do understand the contrast because it took me so long yeah. to get to the Lord. Here's something that came to mind uh, in, in putting together these questions and just initially thinking through them. When was the last time you said to someone, um, that's a lie? And, and not because they told you something that was not true in regards to you know, life or some arrangement you had with them, but because they're saying something about themselves, they're believing something about themselves that is not the truth. My wife tells me this all the time. She tells me that phrase all the time. Because pastors are not immune to this. In fact, pastors in some ways suffer more from the accusations of the evil one. who likes to, He likes to remind me of my sin. He likes to remind me of my um, weakness, my unworthiness to stand in that pulpit and proclaim his truth. And indeed I am. I'm, I'm unworthy. I'm a sinner. And so I'll sometimes, woe is me, not for the sake of pity, but because I'm truly believing lies and my wife will come to me and she'll say, that's a lie. Stop that, that's a lie. And she will remind me of the truth. And, and so one of the reasons why I asked the question, what is the role of the church? I don't remember how I worded it. What is the role of the church in keeping the belt of truth fastened? Because I think, and we're going to talk a little bit about this in the sermon, it comes up a bit in Thyatira, I think, in the message that we receive there is that we do have a role to play in one another's lives in terms of reminding people, reminding one another, reminding our brothers and sisters, that's a lie. That's not who you are. That's not the truth. And so that's a, that's a, uh, a phrase that I would encourage you to add to your vocabulary 
uh, add to your conversations as the Lord leads and gives you opportunity. Um, because I think the church, as we fight this spiritual fight together, the church is crucial in standing firm and standing fast. Any other comments about any of these questions? Phil. In uh, John chapter 8, verse 32, he talks about the truth will set you free. And in any relationship, we need to know that, it, that we're secure. If we don't have security in a relationship, we have no way of knowing freedom. But the thing about Scripture and, of course, the encouragement of being in church where we hear the news is that we begin to understand what Christ really has done for us. And in that relationship, I am secure. And therefore, I don't have to listen to the lies that the devil or even other people tell me because there is truth, and that truth has set me free Mm-hmm. from the bondage of performance. Every relationship that I've known as a in this lifetime basically has been to some extent, maybe not completely, but to some extent based on performance. The relationship that I have with Christ is based on his performance, not yeah. on mine. Mm-hmm. And when I understand that and can live into that, then I'm set free. That's good. Amen. Yeah. Um, One of the things we know about Satan is that he likes to confuse the body of Christ. He likes to uh, cause dissension. He likes to uh, lead seeking people into uh, false doctrine, false teaching. And I think if we don't, uh, if we don't really know what we believe and why we believe it, if we don't really understand God's truth and make it our own and and practice preaching it to ourselves, it's too easy to fall into synchronicity with the world and let. Um, I'm going to pick tolerance. Let tolerance lead us away from God's truth and help and make us not see people through his eyes, see them through society's eyes. And I think this is one way that the church can help keep that belt of truth tight is to keep the truth of God's word in front of us daily, not just for our own identity, but for our ability to stand against Satan's uh, willingness to dilute the truth or pull it aside into something false. Yeah. 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 Amen to that. That that's a that's a theme that the Lord has us on right now. Um, last week, uh, looking at Pergamum. This week, looking at Thyatira. As we walk through the churches of Revelation, you're going to hear this morning much of that same thing um, in regards to uh, holding fast uh, as a church. Uh, against uh, the heresy, against the false teaching that swirls around us. So, good, good comments. Anybody else? Ken. 
Thanks, um, I think one aspect of truth that in my life that's important is that um, that I be truthful with uh, friends in Christ. Um, a lot of times I'll, I'll meet with a brother and they'll say, "Are you are you okay?" And I'll be like, "Yeah, fine, fine, huh? like no problem, no problem." And then some of my friends will they know me real well. Is that true? I'd be like, nah, that's not true at all. I'm, I'm doing terrible. Um, I'm really struggling right now. Yeah. And it opens opportunity for, for prayer, for, for advice, you know, a lot yeah. of things that help in my own um, life and spiritual warfare. So, Amen. I yeah. love that. I love that. I have commended Ken and others in this room for their um, transparency and candidness on a Sunday morning when you're passing, and how are you doing, and the, the knee-jerk reaction is, I'm good, doing well, and uh, some of you have just stopped me in my tracks, uh, helpfully so, and said, I'm not doing too well. Okay, why? What, what are you hearing? What are you believing? Um, good, that's a great point. I put, I put the question in there about what is the role of grace in keeping truth fastened because one of the things I did not want us, um, did not want you to walk out of here in any way feeling is that you've got to keep your belt tight, that you've got to keep your breastplate on, you've got to, you know, that subjective aspect of each of those pieces of armament um, we cannot forget about the objective reality of Christ. And yes, there are some very practical, uh, relational uh, ways that we uh, encourage one another to not believe the lies, ways that we know the truth, we meditate on it, we memorize it. Um, there's some very practical, do these things, keep doing these things for the sake of your stand, for the sake of your standing firm, for the sake of your fight. But don't walk out of here with this huge burden on you feeling like you've got to keep your stuff together or else you're going to be toast. Because the reality of, of it is, uh, remember, it's in the Lord. This is, this is Christ's armament. This is his work. And so um, there is a profound role of grace in keeping that belt fast um, on you. John 6, Jesus says, no one will snatch them out of my hands. I know my own, and they know me. Any other comments? Dio. You know, it's, it's encouraging in the Bible that we have these, these men and women of faith who fall, and God takes them back. You know, if we had Abraham or Moses or King David or the Apostle Peter, and they never did anything wrong, He didn't do too many things wrong. He doubted God a little bit, but he did most of the things right. But um, God took these people back, yeah. notwithstanding their shortfallings. And I'm just encouraged that, you know, you look at the Apostle Peter and how he denied Christ publicly three times. And then that our Lord had the love to take him back. Yeah. Very encouraging. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Well, I 
just, I marvel at Exodus through Chronicles. Just the repeated failure of the nation of Israel over and over and over and over and over again. And it just, all I can think of when I read those things is, that's me, <laughs> you know. Uh, that's me. It's not them. It's me. And, and if it weren't for the grace of God, I wouldn't stand. I, I know that. Yeah. Uh, I not only can tell just by reading, reading the accounts from Exodus through Kings, but I can reflect on the path of my own life and see it's just the parallels are so close. Uh, and the ways that I've failed the Lord are so similar uh, that yeah, I just know that what I'm reading is true. Yeah. It, you know, it just, and I'm thankful. Yeah. If it weren't, if, I mean, I really believe that there, but for the grace of God, go I. Because mm -hmm. I've lived it. Amen. Any other comments? You know, I would encourage us, one of the takeaways I want us to have this morning is that, uh, well, not just this morning, but throughout this class, is to kind of, is to push us and train us uh, to be people of, uh, of self-reflection, of asking questions of what's going on in my heart. What's going on that is causing that? And even the question, what lies am I believing? Where, where does the truth of God's promises and his word and what he says about me, what he says about reality, where does that speak into this situation of, of anxiety, this situation of profound fear and weakness, this situation of I'm not enough, this situation of I'm not worthy. And yeah, those are not like flashy, uh, in the middle of the night, nightmare dream type spiritual warfare experiences. But that's in part the way that the Lord chips, or excuse me, the way that Satan chips away at us, or seeks to chip away at us, and to pull us from truth, to make us feel unworthy, when we have the belt of truth, we have the breastplate of righteousness. Our identity is secure. So may he give us the grace to continue to be people of reflection in the renewal of our minds as this battle begins to wage in our mind. And yes, it, and we'll talk more about this, but it, obviously it flows to our actions. It flows not just to, to anxiety or fear or things, emotions that we feel, but ways that we deal with that, sin that we run to in order to feed that or fulfill that. But it begins, begins in the mind, girding up the loins of our minds. Let me pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for um, the reminder of our enemy prowling around seeking whom he may devour. 
And yet we have, given all, we have been given all that we need to stand firm. And so I pray as we go from this place, even as we think about the role of truth in our lives as we examine our own hearts and think about the lies that we might be believing, as we rest in the righteousness of God given to us in Christ and not on our own performance, Spirit of God, give us grace to walk in that way, to stand firm in that way. Fathers, we turn our hearts to your worship as we are continually, um, or as we continue to be challenged in, in these very things through the opening of your word. We pray that you would have your way with us, that you would do your work in us, and that above all, you would be honored, you would be glorified, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.